everyone. Welcome to Central American Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Alejandra Quiroz. Gracias por sintonizarnos una vez más. Today we are with Osiris Polar Short. He grew up in Los Angeles, California. He is a CAFE board member at UC Berkeley and a student instructor for Central American History of Colonialism class. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure having you here. Yeah, thank you, Alejandra. Thank you for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, we get to talk about, you know, being Central America, about Central America. And yeah, I've been teaching a class, I'm a board member for Central Americas for Empowerment. So I'm happy to speak with you today, especially since we got, uh, we have an event coming up. We're watching, we have a documentary for La Mampleza. Uh, and it's a screening at UC Berkeley. So if you're listening to this right now, make sure you uh, you go to that event if you are in the Bay Area. Uh, but yeah, pleasure to speak with you today. Yes, yes, it's a pleasure. And yes, we do have an event, so we can talk more into that. So it's so excited to, to get to go see you guys over there and then have this event together with you guys. But a little bit about, I want to know a little bit about you. So tell me how was like your experience growing up as a Central American? Yeah, um, I think I was talking to you before this, uh, before we started recording, my dad's Asian, my mom's Central American. Um, I grew up mostly with my mom. Uh, I didn't grow up with my dad really. So, you know, I was always raised around my mom and her cooking. And she always told me like, yeah, we're from Honduras. Um, I'm from Honduras, I'm from Choloma Cortez. And, you know, she would always, you know, talk about it, talk about her experience. Um, you know, her experience with it, like it was always deep shit like she was always talking about something that was just so deep and it was it was like about abuse family abuse like sexual abuse and like you know her um having to go through like abusive relationships and coming up here to the United States and just finally like separating herself from all of that and then just being on her own with me, my brother and my sister. And uh, that played, I feel like it played a big role into how I was growing up because my mom, like she would always tell us like, you know, you always have to do things for other people. It's not just about you. It's not just about yourself. And especially me being a young boy, not having a father, not having like a, um, you know, a father figure in my life. My mom really like stepped in and like she said, I don't want you to be like <laughs> a man who hits women like like those other men. And I don't want you to be like my dad who like feels like he can hit anybody anytime he wants. So I very much grew up like that. Uh, but my mom... My mom, uh, like I said, single mother, raising three kids, and it was hard for her to even, like, you know, get ahead in life because uh, she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't have a college degree. She didn't even pass uh, middle school. So my mom has a very limited amount of education, and she talks about how her parents never let her go to uh, school because they wanted her to work. And that's valued more than going to school. And uh, they forced her to get married when she was 14 years old. Um, and they forced her to have a baby with a man, too. And, you know, it was it was a lot of things that, that she told us about. And 
um, she told us about her experience. But what I get from what she told me is that her experience was just very um, traumatizing and it was very not normal, the conditions that she was living in. And then you take that, you she had the passion and, you know, the fire in her to, to go to the United States. And I always ask her, um, you know, why did you why did you make that? that decision to go. She's like to have a better life for my children. I feel like most immigrant parents say that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, she was here working in a factory. Uh, it was called ready pack at the time. Um, and she worked there for 12 years, but she, we, she struggled. Like we were homeless at some points and uh, we were just, going from motel to motel, people's backyards and garages. And at, at the time when I was a kid, I didn't really think much of it. I was just like, all right, I'm a little kid. I'm having fun. I'm like running around the motel. You know, those little brochures that they have in the, uh, you know, in the lobbies of hotels and stuff like that. I would grab, I would grab all of them and then like, just like spread them around the whole hotel. Like (laughs) I was having fun as a kid. Like I didn't even think much of it, but I remember my mom was really sad. Um, And that was just like, that was just like, honestly, I didn't even know what was going on um, until I got older. And then I was like, oh shit (laughs) we were homeless (laughs) i didn't even know what was going on and um you know growing up we we still struggled every time there was a food drive at school the you know i would bring my canned foods to school and i'll be like yeah because you know they would have like class competitions who can raise the most uh cans in their classroom and then I would bring all these canned foods, all excited. And I'm like, yeah, like, we're going to win as a classroom. And then eventually, like, I remember at the end of school one day, they just gave me, like, a bunch of, like, canned foods. Like, all the canned foods, they were like, well, why, why am I getting the canned foods? I thought they was going to poor people. <laughs> and then I, I was like, wait, <laughs> we are the poor people. <laughs> and then um, we had, my mom was, my mom was shocked because she was like, why are they giving us all this food? Um, and, but you don't realize that until later. Um, but that's very much how I grew up. Uh, I didn't grow my mom. Like I said, my mom worked all day, every day. Um, my siblings had, you know, went their own separate ways. So it was just really me and my mom, um, growing up, but she didn't have time cause she had a job. She had to, she had to, you know, put food on the table and, my roof over my head. Um, so I didn't really spend a lot of time with my mom. I spent a lot of time with babysitters. Um, and through those babysitters, like (laughs) I just learned so much like bad stuff that, that I was not supposed to learn. Like some of, some of my babysitters, you know, were drug dealers. Uh, some people, you know, I was in some neighborhoods where I witnessed people like get murdered and, that was just normalized to me as a young kid. And I just didn't really think much of it. Um, I just, I remember just being poor, uh, going through all of that. And then um, finally moving to Covina, California, when my mom found my stepdad and things got a little bit better after that. But my mom got uh, injured at work. She couldn't, um, there's a lot of migrant workers at that factory job that they have. There's a lot of Central Americans too. 
Um, I'll get to that like another point, but I'm gonna reach into like different tangents. <laughs> but she got hurt and she was disabled. She, my mom couldn't. My mom couldn't do anything. Um, so I didn't. I my, my mom. There was no income. Like there was nothing yeah. that I could do to help my mm-hmm. situation. I was just entering high school. You know, I had a girlfriend at the time. I was trying to go on nice little dates and stuff like that. I was trying to go to the movies, mm-hmm. um, trying to get something to eat after school. But I remember always being that one person that just didn't have money to go. And if mm-hmm. I did go to the movies, I was going to sneak in. Like, there was just no way I was going to pay for my ticket to go in. Um, and... I just remember being so frustrated with myself at one point where I was just like, you know what? A lot of kids uh, where I was going were selling weed. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing. So I started getting into weed and started like selling it. Um, and that's how I made a little bit of money. So that way I could pay for like, you know, McDonald's after school or something like that. 7-Eleven, some chips and some a, a, mm-hmm. a big gulp something like that. And then, you know, I started getting more greedy with myself and I started, it went from weed to pills to other drugs Mm. that were just a lot more heavier. And, you know, uh, at some point I was just like, this isn't really the life I want to live. I think it was till I was 17, 18, where I started thinking like that. Um, and I finally got to the point where I was like, I wasn't doing great in school. I was always a bad student. I was always getting in trouble with fights and stuff like that. I was always getting in trouble with drugs, always getting caught up with stuff like that. A lot of the mm-hmm. principals and teachers and stuff like that would always say, like, I'm I'm headed nowhere good. I'm going to end up being, like, dead or in jail or some something because I just wasn't doing well. And when you put that into somebody's mind you start to believe it and you start to think that way too and then you're just like Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think much of myself like i don't think i'm gonna make it in this world i really don't care about um anything um but yeah i ended up going in a spiral started to get i got addicted to drugs and stuff like that so that's how i grew up as a central american Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, at the time, I wasn't even thinking about Central America. Like, I wasn't even connecting those dots yet. I wasn't thinking about the 400 years of exploitation. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about my grandparents being orphans. I wasn't thinking Mm -hmm. about um, the way my mom was living and how it connects to the way we live here. I wasn't thinking about any of that. To me... To, to be honest with you, I didn't really think of myself as like Central America. I didn't really think about the identity as much um, mm-hmm. to me. Cause my mom always told me like, you're not, you're not Hondureño. She's like, you're American. And she, I was like, well, okay, mm-hmm. I guess I'm American. <laughs> and then I would just be <laughs> like, well, and sometimes I'll get frustrated because I didn't want to be American either. So like when people would mm-hmm. ask me where I'm from, I'll be like, oh, I'm from Canada or I'm from like Hawaii. I would I would say random things mm-hmm. so that way people like just wouldn't know. And mm-hmm. honestly, it wasn't until after um I went through my whole spiral and you know had to go through so many things where I finally like turned it around. I was like, I need to turn around my situation because the way my mom is right now, being disabled, not mm-hmm. having money for herself, the way my family is right now, just not having anything for themselves and just 
constantly saying like next year is going to be good next year we're going to fix things next month is going to be better mm-hmm. next year and then next year comes and nothing changes it's the same thing mm-hmm. it's the same thing if not worse so mm-hmm. i decided to change this whole thing around i was like you know what i'm going to go back to school i'm going to actually do well in school to see what i can do with myself because i'm not living my life like this i'm not doing this mm-hmm. forever so I ended up, uh, yeah, going back to school and eventually, like, turning it around. Then I got into speech and debate. I did more of the speech part. Um, those awards mm-hmm. that you see right here, that's from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, and that's when I started to learn more about the Central American identity. That's when I started mm-hmm. to learn about the exploitation and all these things because they asked me, they asked you, what do you want to speak about? What do you want to talk about? And I wanted to talk about my mom's experience of her immigrating mm-hmm. here. And then once they, then they said, okay, here's some books. Here's what you need to research. Go out, research, write a speech, come back, and then we'll help you out. And then I was like, okay, cool. And once I started to get to researching, once I started to get to reading, mm-hmm. man, after that, I was like, wow, this all connects together. This, like yeah. I started connecting the dots and I was like, wow, like... <laughs> The reason I had to live my life the way I lived it was because it has been nonstop like poverty, nonstop violence, nonstop, you know, abuse Traumas. in my in my family. And it, mm-hmm. it, it it passed down from generations to generations. And even if we get here to the United States and we, you know, we we live here in, you know, the Bay Area, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. some people live in Virginia, Central Americans live everywhere. You know, you don't live in Beverly Hills. You don't live in Anaheim Hills. You don't mm-hmm. live in the nicest areas. You live in like, you know, in some most time, most of the times where I live, I lived in the hood, where there was just not enough resources. Everybody's like gang banging, drinking, doing drugs, mm-hmm. selling drugs, doing shit like that. So that's what I got my mentality from, and mm-hmm. honestly, it stems from all that. Like it all connects to each other. And then I started thinking, like, you know what? This is what I want to do. I want to start, you know, um, talking about it. Um, But that was my experience. I didn't really Mm -hmm. reach the identity of being Central American until I was, like, 19. I didn't Mm -hmm. really think about it. Until then, I was, like, I was Honduran and Thai. Hondureño Mm -hmm. and Thai. I wasn't -hmm. wasn't thinking Central American until... I read more about it. And then I saw people tweeting, writing articles about being Central American, uh, all the wars that happened. Um, even before that, there was there was a lot of like civil wars that happened. And I, I know that now because I teach a class. But before that, mm-hmm. like when I was just learning about it, um, it was all new to me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was a uh... then I started thinking like, that's the life of a Central American. And I was wondering mm-hmm. how many other people live that same life. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's yeah. pretty much how I grew up. <laughs> I know Damn. that was a long story, <laughs> but yeah. No, but still, but I feel like I, I, when you were telling the story, especially of your mom, you know, how she grew up in Honduras and how like she had to, she had to uh, work like, is like it just brought me back of like you know when you go to Honduras Central America you see a lot of like kids you know child labor right and I always talk about like that shouldn't be right no matter like even you're younger than 18 or something like that like 
why those are like our communities prioritize like you know work over like education and i know like it's a system of of at the same is the system that makes us that way right because like yeah. parents is it's easier for a parent to send a child to work on the streets rather than to send the child to school right and then i mean i it's more deeper like when we talk about education in central america right and then at the same time then your mom make the the you know the decision to migrate here that's another trauma on itself right that she couldn't heal yeah. from what she was already experiencing back home and now she gets here and it's the same cycle right and like you said like central americans most of the time we go to these communities where like yeah sometimes like an amigo or like a friend or like a family member is living there and like oh you stay here but those are the areas where like you know it basically like say in the lay um like they don't they don't take care you know what i mean like they're just like oh it's the hood i i like whoever you know what i mean well that's where the gangs are right but no there's where a lot of people like migrate because you know either like they could afford a living in those areas right because it's of course it's cheaper yeah. you know to get a house to get an apartment but then you know like what like there's no resources and now you had to experience like go through high school had to go into the route of drugs and that's another thing right like it's it's not just oh it was my fault right it's the whole system it's a whole like repeatable cycle it's a whole not even like the cycle of trauma but the cycle of poverty like you know that fa- that your family has come since Honduras and even generations before and like you said like a lot of abuse a lot of things that have happened in our communities that had led us to that and then you come here and it's like it's the same right like there's there's the same thing as a cycle and until we start to understanding and we start to yeah. put in like oh like you know what i mean like oh it's i, I kind of don't want to live this life right like what can i do how can i learn what can i do better for you know for my parents and stuff like that that's when we start realizing and putting thoughts together and i'm, I'm glad that you kind of like were able to realize it because there's a lot of people who couldn't there's a lot of people you know yeah. who have passed for, for drug have passed during like migration have passed for poverty because they didn't realize it, that it's not their fault. You know, it's not their fault. It's this whole system that sadly puts us in that route. Yeah. And another thing too, is when you get here to the United States, there's an added expectation because you're expected to make money and then you're expected to send it back. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's the same of like dependency, right? And then I mean, in Central America, they're like remesas. They, they are like a huge economic boost for for Central America. You know, they're like I don't, I I'm not very sure like the right percentage, but it's very high, right? Remesas is something that like runs the economy now in Central America, and it's like, well, you know, like I always think about like for example you know i migrated here when i was 14 of course like i have family over there i have my dad and my parents but like i don't have someone who was like dependable right like that i have to send but what if like if i was a young alejandra i took the decision i had a family i had a kid right i left the kid over there and i had to send money over there because they're taking care of my kid right at the same time you are need to make your <laughs> make your you know meet ends here and then now you have to take care of over there but then then there's the distance right like you're not with your child then the child thinks that you abandoned him or her yeah. right and it's like the same cycle and then like what if let's say the person comes back they're like why do you love me right and it's a whole cycle at the same time like you know it's a whole system like the system has failed us and i think we we can see it every repetitive time immigration and so you know education and everything 
Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, just going to your point about the kids, <laughs> like, you know, feeling like their parents don't love them. Mm -hmm. um, I had like a similar experience with that where, um, you know, my nephew, uh, he was traveling up here, migrating up to the United mm -hmm. States, but he was with his mom. He was with his mom and his brother. And they got to Mexico and they caught them at the border and they put them in a refrigeration room for I don't know how many hours, but it was all the way up to the point where my little nephew was sick. And instead of finding medical care for him, they just sent him back to Mexico and then told him to figure it out themselves. Um, but long story short, he's okay now. Um, but through the uh, child reunification program that they have here, mm -hmm. uh, we were able to take him in, but uh, his mom wasn't able to get in at the same time. So we took his... <laughs> it's crazy because they talk about child reunification program, mm -hmm. but then um the he was with his mom and they basically separated him from his mom to go with us and now his mom mm -hmm. is in maryland uh and we're out here in california and they're still separated and when i see this kid talking to his mom he it's like it's almost like he doesn't want to talk to her mm -hmm. like he just doesn't he, I know he loves his mom because he tells me that he loves her and that I told him, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? And then he was like, I'll bring my mom into the United States. That's the only thing he said. And I was <laughs> like, that's so bad. That was before his mom came to Maryland. But mm -hmm. I was like, that's so bad. Um, I started thinking about it. And I was like, well, then how come he doesn't like talking to his mom? Like, he just seems like he doesn't he doesn't like you know think about it or he doesn't um he doesn't think that his mom loves him anymore and it's it's kind of sad and then like i myself as well as my family try to show him that love so that way like it's not missing um mm -hmm. but he does have like sort of like a disdain towards his mom like he i don't know and then i try to tell him it's not her fault like like you yeah. said it's the system mm -hmm. um yeah yeah it's the same thing, you know, it's, it's funny because, like, I have read a lot of, like, you know, child reunification. And even, like, when people are migrating here, when you now, they put them with a parent now, right? Of course, there's still, like, you know, the circumstances and the places with the burden is not humane. But before, like, there were kids separated at two years old from their parents, you know, like, and then yeah, now, like you said, you know, um, you're... Your is your nephew right? No, yeah, nephew right? Okay, your nephew is still separated from his mom, and or like, you know, and then that bond or like that trauma will continue. He will feel like that way, and even it wasn't because of his mom. Maybe his mom never wanted to be separated from him, but it's it had yeah, to be that way because of a system. You know. Yeah. It's just so sad. Yeah. It's just, you know, growing up as a Central American, I think, like, at this point, <laughs> after talking with so many people, it's like, we just need to acknowledge that we have a bunch of traumas. <laughs> and, like, we you know, and that is not our fault, you know? And, like, to kind of say, hey, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay that you went through that. It's not your fault. And is this is a community that we need to acknowledge that and how to speak up about it because i feel like in the past our parents didn't do it because of fear and yeah we have still have a lot of like 
uh, you know, young immigrants and there's still a fear, right? But it's like, well, we have to talk about what happened to us, right? What happened to us? Because it, mm-hmm. it's not just migration. It's not just, you know, imperialism and, you know, over there. It's not just a lot of stuff. It's mm-hmm. multiple <laughs> areas. And it's, it's like, things, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, it's we're not the only ones going through this. It's a whole community. And knowing that there's a lot of people that understand us and it's like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, I listen to your story. It's like, I can't relate, you know? And I'm sure like people who are listening to this is like they can't relate, too, because it's sadly this is how we grew up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I try to make the point of. Even in my class, I'm like, you know what? Like, we may live different lives, um, you know, in our own personal lives, whatever. It may have gone differently. Some of us have may, may have gone through worse things. Some of us, you know, but nonetheless, I feel like we all share almost the same misery. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like the same suffer, suffering that, that uh, you know, that we had to go through. Some, like I said, it may be different in in, in various ways. Some mm-hmm. might even be worse. But at the end of the day, like, I don't really think there's a happy story to be told here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very pessimistic. <laughs> I think the happy story um, is something that we can build. It's something that we can make for ourselves. Yes. Um, because, you know, after so long of of just abuse and uh, exploitation and making you feel like you're, you're less than human. Um, I feel like there has to come a point where you just say, stop. Like, this is, mm-hmm. this is it. Um, yep. There's no more suffering here. Like we want to create, um, you know, something where we can be happy for once and have joy for once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I definitely think that's possible. I still feel like, some uh on your aspect of like you know trauma and trying to deal with that and saying that that's okay i feel like um for the young central americans i feel like i see that trend happening a lot of more people Mm -hmm. are focusing on joy instead of just reminiscing on the past and just thinking you know about everything that happened um yeah which isn't it's to say that it isn't wrong but you can't dwell on it too much because it will it will consume you um Mm -hmm. but i would say like the older the older central americans living here that i feel like they just don't take mental health as serious um so they're just like they never deal with the trauma it's just like Mm -hmm. they just hold it deep down inside and just never talk about it and like Mm -hmm. i see it even with my mom like sometimes my mom has some trauma responses that i'm just like oh my god like (laughs) she's really overreacting right now um, but my mom will never, never, ever say that she's traumatized or that she feels some type of way about her past or anything like that. She'll never say that. She's so hard-headed. I know how she is, and she just won't accept the fact that she um, went through so much. Like, she knows mm-hmm. that she went through so much, but she just won't accept the fact that she has feelings towards it. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like uh, you brought really nice points of like, not difference, but like, you know, the new Central American generation, right? Like, because I feel like if we kind of like put it into different parts, if I make to divide it, you know, we have the first generation of our parents, right? The parents Mm -hmm. who migrated here after civil war, the parents who migrated here after Hurricane Mitch, 
you know, parents who migrated here for X, Y, and Z reason, because not all of us, it's just, you know, everybody has different reasons for migration, right? And yeah. then we have us, you know, like I was like the middle age, right? Um, right? Who are like either first generation migrant or you're a migrant or a young migrant, right? And then you have the younger generation who are growing up, you know, or parents were the ones who take everything to themselves. Didn't didn't show love. They didn't not love, but didn't show what their feelings. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. They didn't show their feelings. They kept the everything to themselves. They didn't realize that going through war, migration, and everything can cause like any cause a lot of trauma. And there is of course result of that. And you know that that's our parents, right? Is coming to to a place where like they just want to keep themselves and they're like, they don't want to say where, where they're from. They don't want to be proud, even though if they're proud of, of who, where they're from or who they, how they were back in, you know, in their home countries, they still feel like scared to say it based on discrimination, based on a lot of community. Then it's us that like, we grew up kind of in the middle, right? We grew up in the middle of like, hey, like I understand like we, we take it as a trauma because trauma is past generation to generation. And we're like, you know, I understand that. And then now I am at the, at, like, we have the privilege, right? To go to school and like to read and read about it. Parent thinks that might have been normalized in our countries, might have been just taken not very serious in consideration. Like, you know, what is like, you know, I'm not saying the civil war is not taken serious, but you know, imperialism, a lot of like, you know, you, you we name it. There's a lot of stuff. Um and we're here like, hey, this actually like okay, this shouldn't have happened. This is kind of what it leads to why my pa- why my parents migrated or why I had to migrate, you know, like why like it's it's it, everything is como like como que está, you know, clicking. Like we're we're the ones who put in the dots together. And then the younger generation mm-hmm. who are the ones who are enjoying like not enjoying but like technically being proud, right? Because we have been coming like the bridge of the bridge of our parents who couldn't be proud of who they are, who couldn't be outspoken or like oh yes i'm i'm happy to be salvadorian i have to be enduring or like you know central american but at the same time it's like it's, it's so happy to see you young kids like you know be proud but i also like recognize that there's a lot of learning and then at the same time we need to continue developing we need to continue learning what happened to us in the past in order for us to continue building something right because like from us like that's why like i'm trying to divide it let's hope that makes sense that the whole example but you know the middle ones are the ones who are like you know it creates um you know for example like a podcast there's a bunch of pages there's a like now there's articles being written and stuff like that and we're the ones who are creating it because our parents couldn't because our parents had that obstacle because our parents has to migrate because our parents need to take that that decision to man like you know the other things that happened to our parents and they were not saying but, but we're here saying it for them Right. But the reason why we say it for them is for people to know, to know that it happens, that this is a good community, this is a community to build. And for the younger generation to acknowledge that this is where we come from, but that say celebrate the identity that for so long was so like minimized on us. Right. Because we couldn't say that we were Salvadorian. We couldn't say that we were Hondurans because it will become with a stereotype. Right. And I feel like now the stereotype is Central American, even though like, we, I always talk like there's still like even depends where you grow up, of course, but here based on LA, like, you know, you still have 
como te dan ojitos, right? When you say like we're, you're from Central America or you're Honduran or you're Salvadoran, but it's less. I personally feel like it's less because people are being more acknowledged of the cultural, uh, are being more aware mm -hmm. that Central Americans exist and that we have a different cultural, that we have a different like upbringing. Right. So, yeah, that was a lot in my example. But this is how I would say, like, I would divide, like, the generation. I will probably explain it. How, like, you know, the reason why our communities have gone through this journey and how, like, nowadays we see, right, oh, the the new generations are happy and they're like, oh, yes, like, you know, I'm Salvadorian, I'm Salvadorian, I'm Salvadorian, you know, like, they're proud and I, I'm happy, too. But it's like, hey you know also sit down with us we, we need to continue learning <laughs> hey i know we don't like ads but before we continue with that episode i wanted to tell you that if you like our content it would mean a lot if you can leave us a review on apple Podcasts or follow us on spotify also don't forget to follow us on the rest of our social media platform and now let's continue with the episode yeah yeah no and that's that's a big thing too and that's that's a big reason why i teach the class in the first place Because now you see a lot of people, you know, claiming Central American and they're proud to be Central American. You even got all these different, you know, pages on Twitter mm -hmm. and Instagram, like, you know, Central American art, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a lot of there's there's a lot more on social media now that mm -hmm. I've noticed. Um, I don't know if it's because like, you know, I started getting into the community, started, you know, following mm -hmm. more people, but I have noticed that there's a lot more people talking about the issues. Um, and that's why, you know, Central American Studies is being pushed across all California campuses. Because mm -hmm. um, Cal State Northridge has one. ELAC just implemented one. Um, yeah. And UCLA has one, uh, but it's technically mixed in with the uh, Latinx Chicanx department, mm -hmm. um, which, you know... I think honestly, it has to be a separate department. Um, yeah, and mm -hmm. I don't want to be divisive when I say that because I, I I do know a lot of great people in Chicanx Latinx studies. I do know a lot of great people in um, you know, in these departments. But at the same time, I just don't think that they um that they necessarily teach it in the way mm -hmm. that we would like to. I think the curriculum has to be different. Um, yeah. Mainly because a lot of students who, you know, go into like the Chicanx uh, Latinx studies department, then you're required to take classes that are also on mm -hmm. Chicanx studies as well. And from what I've noticed in the Chicanx Latinx studies department classes, it's just that, there's not really a Central American narrative pushed. And if you try to even mm -hmm. bring up the Central American narrative, it's kind of, everybody kind of looks at you like you're being dis divisive or people yes. kind of look at you like, why are you talking about, you know, Central America? We should be together. We shouldn't be against each other. But it's like, mm -hmm. you also have to realize that there's a lot of Mexican nationalism that comes from people mm -hmm. in Mexico that, you know, that tell people from Central America to go back. Um, and yeah. it's the same thing that the United States is doing. But honestly, mm -hmm. um, the nationalism that comes from Mexico, I feel like is also something that is a threat to Central Americans as well. Um, and yeah. sometimes when we try to speak out about it in Chicanx Latinx studies, 
a lot of these people talk back to us like you know like um like we're being divisive yeah um for that reason i i definitely i think like these two fields need to be studied separately Um, there might be a lot of overlap there might Mm -hmm. be and uh because you know the story about chica next studies is a story about exploitation as well there's a story about you know migration as well Mm -hmm. um the diaspora and how how the diaspora thinks about things but at the same time i think uh central american studies should be its own that's why we're trying to push for it here on campus but getting back to the class that i teach um yeah honestly a lot of uh a lot we have a questionnaire that Mm -hmm. we send to students fill out before they join the class just because we want to get a sense of where people are at uh why people want to take the class and you know what reasons are people wanting to take the class and the, i think the number one response that always comes out to me is it, it's, it's just people always say it's almost every application is that they don't understand anything about their history that they don't know anything about you know about what it what it was like in El Salvador, uh, what it was like in Honduras, Costa Rica, Panama, wherever a student may be from, Mm -hmm. you know, they're very proud to say, you know, I'm here as a Central American, but they don't know much. They 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 don't know Mm -hmm. about the history. And it's important to know about the history because if you look at the history, you know, Central America and the Central American nations Honduras, Guatemala, uh, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Belize, Panama, all of all of the Central American states. Um, you know, they when they created independence, it wasn't an independence of all people. It wasn't freedom and liberation for all people because even when the independence happened, there was still slavery going on. Mm-hmm. There was still. Uh, you know, indigenous people were still working on the plantations, working for no, no money at all or just like, you know, a place to live, which is technically mm-hmm. slavery. And it's happened for so long. And the white criollos at the top just managed to, to keep those, those, uh, those positions in power. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about, you know, being Hondureño, being Central American and stuff like that, like we have to also make sure that we're not um being you know you know having a sentiment or not having a sentiment or just being anti-indigenous and anti-black yeah um mm-hmm. because a lot of the times uh you know this central americanness um is almost like almost like an uh almost like mestizaje where mm-hmm. you know you're you're kind of, um, you know, saying that you're this identity and trying to group in all these types of people. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like some indigenous people are just like, I'm not, you know, I'm not Guatemalteca. Like I come from, I'm a, mm-hmm. a, you know, I'm Quite or I'm, I'm Mom. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they don't say that they're from Central America. They're from a tribe. They're from a nation themselves. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a history of this. And this history is the same history of exploitation. It's the same history of colonialism. And it's the same system of slavery. <laughs> and we have to learn these things because if not, we're just going to keep, you know, saying things 
or, or being proud of something without knowing exactly what it is. Um, yeah. And I always think that's, that's something that's dangerous because what we try to do in the class is just try to uncover the truth. Um, mm-hmm. This And this truth is just, you know, Central America has been very anti-Indigenous. It has been very anti-Black. Mm-hmm. There is, it has still had white supremacy instilled in it. And as much as we try to separate from, you know, the United States and its atrocities, um, and the United States has done so many terrible things in Central America, you know, considering mm-hmm. the civil wars and the, the banana republics and, you know, taking all the land away uh, for corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you have to realize that the same systems that occur in the United States, mass incarceration, uh, racism, uh, classism, it's still that, mm-hmm. that all those things apply to Central America as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, 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 it's okay to be like proud of where you're from, but at the same time, you have to be critical about where you're from. Um, yes. And I, think, yes. you know, it's, uh, it's important to do that. Cause you look at what Bukele is doing now in El Salvador with Bitcoin and all the, uh, all those projects that he has. And then the, uh, the state of exception, mass incarcerating people yeah. on the streets. That's a prime example of, you know, um, of the exploitation that happened because when you have 400 years of exploitation, colonialism, slavery, all that stuff, it dehumanizes the population. And when mm-hmm. you have so much war, so much violence going on around you, you know, people just tend to think, oh, like, you know, violence is just an everyday thing, like killing human life then becomes something that's disposable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that uh that is valued um Mm -hmm. and that's a product of 400 years of exploitation it's a product of the wars that happen you know manipulation of political structures Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but um it's important to understand that because you know some people just you know it was the craziest thing i heard someone say uh because i was talking to them about el salvador and they were Salvadoreño, and you know they were talking to me about um, why they left and how he because he this guy's a, a huge Bukele fan, and I was just trying to understand where he was coming from. Um, and he was, and I told him about the mass incarceration, the state ex- state of exception. I'm like, what do you think about that? Uh, like, you know, they're just incarcerating anybody who who they think is a gang member, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I think that's fine. He's like it has to be. He's like it has to be done in order to fix uh, the gang violence that happens in El Salvador, um, as well as some people are going to be innocent going into jail. So whatever. And then he talked about how his cousin got locked up because of the state of exception. And I was like, so does your cousin deserve that kind of treatment because of the, because they're trying to get rid of gang violence? He's like, yeah. And then I was I was just astounded because I'm just like. These people just don't value life as much as, like, you know, we're supposed to. And it almost seems kind of dystopian um, mm-hmm. because it, it just sort of seems like a like a different world. But then mm-hmm. again, like, who am I to who am I to tell him anything? Um, I'm just somebody who lived here in America my whole life. I don't 
mm-hmm. you know, I'm not from El Salvador, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. tell him what's right or wrong. Um, I'll let him figure him figure that him out himself. You know, I'm yeah. not I'm not imposing myself on anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think yeah. after so so long, I think it's important to understand that um, through this class, especially that you know, all everything has conditioned us to one view ourselves as um, laborers view ourselves as people who work uh Mm -hmm. and two um throughout all this history we've been learning to to undervalue human life and we have to start Mm -hmm. to value that human life again because if we just go back to the same things um you know go back to saying like you know we want a war we you know of course like mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of things that happen in central america there's a lot of exploitation and i get people are angry like i'm angry mm-hmm. i'm angry mm-hmm. when i read these things and i'm teaching it to students and i see them they get angry too they get angry at all the things that are happening and yeah i'm angry um as well but at the same mm-hmm. time we have to we have to understand that human life is important as well and if if we just go out and you know start a war and then continuing the same cycle that we've been in over and over and over again um yeah and those are those, that's important to me yeah and that's why i teach the class because you know i'm trying to get people to all, to make those connections but also learn these things that we need to unlearn yeah Yes, yes, yeah. yes. You know, um, I'm going to, that was a lot, you know, to uncover, you know, to kind of for me yeah. to like, but to be honest, it, it, I 100% agree with you um, in sense of like, you know, as someone who, I, w- I call myself privileged, that went to season and had Central American studies, right? Not a lot of people have the privilege to go to school and yeah. learn about it, right? So every time we, we hear, like, for example, when I learned you were teaching this class and, like, you know, push for Central American studies, there's always that comment that you just made. Why? Why are you being so divisive? Why are you guys, you know, why cannot be like just Latin American studies? And to my answer is, is one, there's different experiences, right? Like, for example, Hondurans are like, you know, where myself, I'm a Honduran, you know, but Central Americans are not very familiar with what was the El Bracero program back in the days, right? Yeah. Because they were mostly Mexicans who were coming to, you know, to California to work in farmers. I, yeah. I, my family, my, my ancestors, uh, you know, can relate to that, right? But Mexicans, Chicanos can't. Right. And I'm not saying that I would want to learn it. Of course, I learned it and I would like to read it in general. But, you know, there's just the one example. Right. The same thing as what is the reason for Mexican migration? There's a different. There's a different. Of course, a lot of can be oh, economically also, but there's different. Like, I always say there's a diff- every person has a reason to migrate. It cannot only be for economically. It can be for other stuff. But. I am not very familiar, like the back in the days, reason of migration, right? It can be also because of resources, which because of the lack of resources happen all throughout Latin America, right? Well, if we go to South America, why, you know, I don't know, Colombians are in type of migration, right? Or um, Argentina or Chile, right? You know, eh, Chile tuvo que, que, no sé si lo estoy diciendo bien, pero, eh, you know, it was under like, um, it was a Pinochet on Chile, right? 
Yeah, yeah, it was, was under like Chile. US back what dictatorship. I am like not that. very familiar. Um, if it was during Chile, but what I'm saying is that each country, each region, has different history. Right. It has different history of one migration. It has different history of their political. Uh, like if uh, what I was saying is that each region is different. Right. South American identity, how South American immigration reasons, South American political environment, South American history is even if we can talk that we do have similarities, there are things that are different, right? It also goes to the, the same Mexico part, even El Caribe, right? You know, we, we talk about Cuba, we talk about Haiti, we talk about Republica Dominicana, we, we can go to Argentina. Also. Every every country, every region have one different, you know, reason of migration, two different reasons, like political environments, different history and political, you know, events that have happened to them. And mm-hmm. at the same time, and, and I'm not saying that I don't want to learn about South America. I don't want to learn about Mexico. It's just that when it's time for us to learn about us, right? When it's time for us to yeah. learn about us, because no one focuses on Central America. The usual people don't see us as either even a region to be studied, right? Until we came and we said it, we want to study what happened, what, what was the reason before the Civil War? What happened, uh, you know, with the FMLN? What happened with the FS, you know? What, what happened with Chiquita? What happened with that fruit company? It, that didn't happen until we came and we said we want to study ourselves. That didn't come until we were the ones pushing for that. And we were the ones, like, it for us, we're here. We're trying to, you know, there's, you know, the migration. And then we can go a, a lot of, like, in the area of, like, the gangs, Right, because a lot of people compare us to gangs. A lot of people tend, well, Central America very violent, but Central America is this. But then, do we know the history of gangs? It started here in LA. It started here in LA. It's not that we don't want to learn. It's not that we're being divided. It's just that no one has ever seen yeah. us and see, huh? What happened there? Until we came and we said, we're tired. Why the United yeah. States is all up in their things? You know what I mean? Why is the CIA like funding this war? Why is there so many armed? Why is why do why the contras existed? Why the United States? You know, until we came, we asked those questions. We were the one who you know did the research. We were the ones who went and studied and you know think to the people who did all those amazing papers because we're honestly the only papers we could find because there's not a lot of Central American studies in academia or even paper. It's hard to find them. It's hard to find them. And, you know, even going to Central American studies, like, it's hard yeah. to find papers. It's so hard to find academic written papers. So it's not for us to be divisive. It's just that everyone, I feel like everyone should learn uno por lo que quieren aprender, right? If like I'm not saying that yo no quiero aprender de Latinoamérica, but what I'm saying is that I also want to learn about myself because no one, no one would care because simply and sencillamente in Central American in, in Latin American study, no one's care about Central America. The only thing you will study is the Panama yeah. Canal, and I already know that thing from start to finish. And and I'm sorry if I'm getting angry, yeah. but it's like it's tiring, right? Because we have so much. It's it's tiring to people just think that whatever was funded by the US and France 
is the only important thing in the region. And then they don't care about our existence. They don't care about why we came in, why why we're suffering, why our pay, why why our governments are like that, why we suffer through you know so many years in Honduras, you know, con narco gobierno. Why the Nicaragua was still like in yeah. the communist, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's just like a lot. It's just you know, no one, no one. I second, I mean, you came and yeah. you're like, you know, we want yeah, to study yourself because no one's gonna do there's it. There's a lot of younger, Sorry, there's a lot I of younger uh, Central <laughs> Americans now. Who, who do want to learn that. And I think that's 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 why there's a growing popularity because, you know, you mm-hmm. had the first wave of Central Americans coming in at the late 80s um, and then the 90s was the, the big one. Um, uh, but my mom got here in the late 80s mm-hmm. and, you know, those kids who came here who or who were even born here with their parents, you know, uh, eventually started mm-hmm. wanting to learn more about themselves. And it, it, it's like almost like the story that I told you where I didn't even realize mm-hmm. I was really Central American until I was 19 years old and I read about everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and, and it comes, it, yep. it's that point where you want to learn more. And you're like, wow, where, where can I find more readings? But where can I, where can I learn more? Mm-hmm. And then you look for things and there's nothing there. Like you literally, and if there is, and this is something that I've, that I've learned through researching because uh, I do plan to go out to grad school one day and just, mm-hmm. you know, write papers myself about this stuff. But as I'm looking for things right now, mm-hmm. it's either told in the sense of an American um, student doing their dissertation on Latin America for some reason. Um, it's told by their eyes mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. it's told by some corporation that really wants an investment in Central America. So they create a report to, you know, justify their uh, whatever they want to invest in. And I noticed that there's, there's only a few really, uh, you know, Central American uh, journalists, people who are studying Central America that, you know, are still continuing to to add on to these studies. But yeah, it's really told from the Western gaze. Like people just look at it from, you know, a perspective, not really understanding where you come from. Now you have students mm-hmm. um, in grad school right now or like studying Central America right now that are really trying to to put in their own studies and they're adding to Central American studies. And that's, I think that's the growing popularity. It comes from us. Mm -hmm. It comes from, you know, uh, you doing this podcast, uh, me doing this class, people on social media, creating different things for Central Americans and diaspora. Um, It comes from that. And then the the Mm -hmm. more we talk about it, the more we put our narratives out there, the more people are going to be interested themselves because eventually you Mm -hmm. know you reach that one person who doesn't think about being Mm -hmm. central american themselves you know even in los angeles a lot of people just go to the default mexicans like everybody everybody racializes you as being Mm -hmm. mexican and that's just the truth in in america like that's just and then sometimes Mm -hmm. it was like i said earlier people tell you you're something so many times you start to believe it like you start to think yourself like, oh, I'm Mexican. I'm just like everybody else here. Like, yes. you know, mm-hmm. and you don't really think much of it. But 
mm-hmm. when we talk about these things and we talk to the people about it, we teach yeah. classes about it and you get people to open their eyes and they're like, oh, wow, like this whole history, this is my history. I didn't even yeah. know nothing about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I want to add to that because as someone who like I went to school in yeah. Honduras for 14 years. Right. And I have shared this here. One of the hardest thing ever was to quitarme la venda de los yeah. ojos when I was studying Central American from here. And I'm not saying like, oh, like, you know, because yeah. I study in the United States, right? You know what I mean? I'm not pointing that point. What I'm saying is that in Honduras, in Central America, we tend to glorify the United States. We tend that everything that comes from here is perfect, right? And whatever history, what actually, like you said, our history is not taught. Like, no. Like, it's, it's like, I swear to God, like, it's just like, how many times I went to, you know, I used to be asked the seventh, seventh grade, right? And yeah, that can happen. You know, we, we talk about the curriculum here in the United Great. States. We don't talk also about a lot of like, you know, geography or, you know, even Latin America, but you learn about your country, right? Like you learn about what happened in independence. Of course it's come, it, it's told from a privileged, you know, perspective because in my said I if I knew like los garifunas, I knew like la indígena, but I only knew the side yeah. of glorification mm-hmm. from Cristóbal Colón that they teach in school, right? You know what I mean? But like, do I have to like, you know, migrate or do the research myself to know what was the atrocidades that the United States did or that, you know, El Salvador has, you know, mm-hmm. an Afro, you know, Salvadoran community, which is like... Mind blowing. I personally, I have started like I am personally that like every country was proud to have Africanism because I I just assume everybody knew, right? I didn't know until I came here and like a community were like, oh yeah, people in the, people in El Salvador think that there's no black people, and I'm like, wait, what? I thought like we all knew, right? Like so, like you know what I mean? Like this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. Starting the study those areas come right, and like you said, um. In my case, I'm like, you know, it was hard to come here and quitarme, like, wow, you know, what I thought it was Honduras, yeah. my perfect, beautiful country. It's not, right? And you made a really good point. Like, we're not perfect. And I think that's part of how it can be to be Honduras. I'm going to be as critical as I can because I don't want, I don't want to see my see people suffer. I don't. And people over there might think like, oh, hey, like, why are you coming? You're coming with the with the gringo idea. It's not the gringo ideas. It's the thing that we are over. We're over there blind. Yeah. We're yeah. over there blind glorifying someone who's harming us. Right. And and I can go on and on on this because it's it's true. Like um, how much how many times we saw like the United States are the perfect person, are the perfect. Oh, it's bringing jobs. It's bringing all this. But this what is harming us. In the in the long run, and of course, I'm not saying that imports and perilous. You know, it it has to be a balance, but at the same time, it's like why why do we rather learn more or external or like why do we want to learn more from outside rather than the inside? Why do we don't want to learn about ourselves? Yeah, you were talking about uh, you know glorifying people who. Mm-hmm. You know are hurting us and stuff like that yeah like i definitely yeah think so as well 
Um, and I'm reading James Baldwin right now. Like I'm reading a lot of like readings about mm-hmm. him and he just talks about like kind of uncovering this truth. And like um, in my class, uh, you know, I open it up to the public. Mm-hmm. So anybody, anybody who wants to take the class can take the class from Zoom. Um, and we had a elementary school teacher from Honduras join the class. And he was telling me, because um, we were, at, it was like probably the middle of the semester in the lecture. And he just told me he was talking. He was like, you know what? He's like, the history that you teach here, like, it's true. Like, it, it is true. Mm-hmm. He's like, but th- th- it's the history that we can't teach here in Honduras. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't teach that here. And I'm just like, really? Like, y- y'all, you don't teach this at all? Like, the, the Central American history? He's like, yeah, we teach it. He's like, but it's very much like you said. It's taught from, like, the very privileged standpoint. It's taught within the, you know, the eyes of, like, Christopher Columbus mm-hmm. and how people, you know, how they wanted their history to be taught. Yep. And it carried on until now. And it's sort of like, it's sort of like kind of like here in America where, where, where you're taught a certain history. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody told me in class, or somebody responded to him in class and said that, oh, uh, education is just a tool of indoctrination for whatever the state wants you to believe. Yep. And I was like, that's, that's very true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And we, and it's kind of like we're all living a lie that we tell ourselves that, you know, um, this is exactly how things were to mm-hmm. be. But if you were to be told something different, you know, it can change your whole world view. It can change. And some people just don't want that change. Mm-hmm. Some people, just, uh, they're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. They just, um, something that we fear. And, you know, trying to uncover the truth is also trying to uncover things that you may be uncomfortable yep. with. Mm-hmm. Because something that you believe to be true for so long and you think it's not true anymore, you know, it can damage your whole perspective. It can damage your everything that you work for, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but yeah, I I can go on about that for days <laughs> too. But like, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Believe me. I it's something that I, I'm very passionate about. Like I said, is um every time I, I, I talk about the perspective, right, coming from Central America, it's like phew, Right. Like, you know, I, I tell my parent, like my cousin, and one time I had a cousin who told me, Pero ya no vive allá. ¿Qué te importa? Pero ya no vive acá. Me importa. Because I have a lot of family. I have a family over there. Me importa because I yeah. see it from at like from as, uh, los ojos de afuera. Not from the perspective you think that I'm looking at like gringo view, right? Because that's what they always tell me. Like, oh, you're looking at it from the perspective of like a gringo i'm not saying that i'm saying it that i'm seeing how harm how harm our community has been and how it is important for us to learn that right and then not just because oh yeah yeah me fui you know the latin america me fui de central america it's not that i'm not gonna care i care more and more and more and like again it it is now like you know central american studies i feel like it's a very important and i will personally say like i think i have question why doesn't like the dmb area over there in like dc maryland and virginia doesn't have a central american when they have such a huge central american population right <coughs> and then also like in this yeah. in this case like in california yeah we have one and then like you know usla is trying to push another one and i know there's a community uh, right here in the east la you know community 
community college is trying to push another one. But then why is it so hard? Like, why is this, like, I was like, why is this so hard to like people that just, just listen and they're like, well, there's, there's a need, there's a need for it. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we get into these conversations mm-hmm. with um, different people who are in power, positions of power here in UC Berkeley. Trying to convince them is probably the hardest thing ever because you have to convince people that there's a need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we convince people that we need this? So we have the class mm-hmm. has full enrollment every semester so far that we've had it. Mm-hmm. And that shows them that there's a need. People want to take it. And th- we even have people on the wait list that we have to turn down. Mm-hmm. So people want to take this class. People really do. But it all comes from the leadership. Like if, if there's nobody in power that's willing to listen to you mm-hmm. and actually take action, that's the most difficult part mm-hmm. because here you have UC Berkeley who has a $6.4 billion endowment every year and they can't put, and they're trying to become a Hispanic serving institution, but they don't have any plans for Central American studies. Mm-hmm. We've been talking to them about it. I've been trying to get in meetings with Carol Chris, who's mm-hmm. our, our chancellor and she doesn't want to talk to us or I don't think it's that maybe she doesn't want to talk to us, but she's never taken any action to responding to our emails. None of her staffers are responding to us. We even emailed the vice chancellor and the other vice chancellor and all these different vice chancellors. We emailed everybody, but nobody has gotten back to mm-hmm. us. Nobody, there's not one person who's willing to take action. And it gets frustrating. It gets frustrating to the point where I'm just like, I've been at this for a year. Like, mm-hmm. It's it's not just me, but it's everybody else in Central America's for empowerment. Mm-hmm. Me and everybody else in this organization, and we've been pushing for it for such a long time. And a lot of us are going to graduate now. Yeah. And not there's not even there's not a lot of Central American students on campus. It's probably like two percent of the campus. Mm-hmm. But um, you know the students that we do have here that are that are here for a long time, we're trying to pass on the baton to them to continue it mm-hmm. to continue it going. And I feel like even then, they're probably still going to ask me for, like, <laughs> some help or something. Or like, um, but they, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just difficult, especially when it, when you consider people graduating, mm-hmm. um, people moving on to different parts, steps of their life, and trying to find the Central American students who want to push that. Mm-hmm. That's the most important part, because... A student may feel the need to, uh, you know, may feel proud to be Central American, may uh, want to learn about these things. But if they truly understand the importance mm-hmm. of it, that's the most important yep. part. Because if you understand the importance of it, you're t- you know that in the in the future, there's going to be a lot of students who are going to take this class, even major in it. You know, imagine that majoring in Central American studies. I would have loved to major in that, um, but you know, you have to teach people the importance. People have to see it, and you know, I've taught a lot of the young members of the group mm-hmm. um, the importance of it, and they're really on board. Like they really want to continue it going. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need somebody to listen. Yeah, like we haven't had anybody who listened to us yet, yeah. and that's that's what we're lacking right now. We're actually we're coming out with a symposium at the end of the year mm-hmm. um, to try to talk about it. Um, 
but yeah that's a yeah we just need someone to listen yeah exactly <laughs> and that's pretty much exactly difficult. and it's the social life that's what i'm saying like it's like wow to get someone to listen like why can't they just listen how important it is right like of course like to them to someone might be like well it's like the same thing like we already have the program but it's it's someone who even if you're not part of the community someone who would sit down and listen to you say the points, say the reason, say the importance, the whys, and all that, even if it's 2%, even if it's a 2% only on Central American study. You know, when I was going to Nordridge, like, yeah, there was a lot of Central Americans and, like, majoring, but there was a lot of people who just wanted to learn. Just wanted to yeah. learn. Because this is not that. You know, no le enseñan. So, like, there's a lot of people who want to and willing and want to yeah. put the effort. And they, and I was, like, always amazed because, like, even me as a Central American, tampoco, like, you know, I would read it and I would have my notes. But, like, I had, I saw so many people, like, they weren't even part of the community. that They, they weren't Hispanic. They had, like, notes after notes. And I was just, like, ay, Dios mío, like. <laughs> This pre- like you know I yeah. feel like damn I'm not doing my like research right but you know you I became like ¿cómo se llama? me sentía como honrada like no honrada like personalmente but like in I said like someone who just want to learn right and there's another yeah. thing that like yes we for us might be an importance for us might be like a need but for others they just want to learn Right. And they don't have to be Central American to go through that. And then they don't have to go and, you know, right now that you were, we were talking about research, like we couldn't find it. Those are, that was the one. And I also like the main reason why I started like deciding to open the call for volunteers on the podcast, because as much as I wanted to, you know how the research takes a long, long time. And I was like, it's so yeah. hard to find Central American research. So when I was able to you know, put a call and then like, you know, I had it like, you know, the team now in the podcast, I was able to, you know, hey, I have always loved to do research and how can we do it? And then like we go and we find these topics and they do it. And like, you know, we just post one. And oh my God, like the amount of overwhelmed love that that post got. And I know this is, I'm talking in the perspective of social media, of course, but that's how I can tell there's a need. And how can I tell, how can I, you know what I mean? Like how it was, it was a post. It was a post that legit just says where Central Americans are located. It was as simple as that. Of course, like, you know, uh, uh, Fatima, who is an amazing researcher, like did the whole work and everything, but like, it posed that just we just made it accessible to people. Like I can tell there's a need for Central American study. There's a need for mm-hmm. people who want to learn about our community or issues or history. And people that just don't want to listen. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, at the end of my class last semester, I had like about five to ten students who emailed me saying, like, you know this was the most important class that I ever had been taught in my entire life. Some people said that, you know, this is like, you know, resistance in itself. Um, Just learning about these things and learning about it from the perspective of Central Americans, Mm -hmm. but also learning at it from a perspective of, um, you know, trying to combat ideologies of Mm anti-Blackness and Um, anti-Indigeneity. But also, 
a lot of students tell me that they changed their major after that. They're like, oh, I changed my major to Latin American studies because, you know, you really inspired me to, to learn more about this. And just from those responses itself, like it made me feel good. I was like, wow, I didn't think that I was doing this while mm -hmm. teaching the class. I was just trying to teach the history. I was trying to teach those two things that I told you about earlier. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, when I heard that, I was like, this is what it's here for. That's what Central American Studies can be. Mm -hmm. It can be inspirational. It can teach you about so many different things. It's it's interdisciplinary because you're not just learning about, you know, a history. You're not learning about just an ethnography. You're learning about sociology. You're learning about gender women studies. You're learning about political science, mm -hmm. economic, sociology. All of these different things like are are meshed together in this, and you can learn so much from it. And yeah, I think that's the most important part. And I think. Once, once the university sees that need, it's going to be no problem trying to get that department done. Mm -hmm. um, because I just talked to Cal Matters about Central American Studies. And it's crazy because I had reached out to so many people, emailed them through the cafe email. But when it comes down to a journalist, you know, emailing them, they're so fast to respond. When I saw the vice chancellor uh, gave a comment about Central American Studies in that article, I was so mad because I was like, because first of all, he replied, but never replied to us. Second of all, um, he said that, oh, uh, we'll look into a name change. And I was like, you know what? We're not looking for a name change. We're looking for a department that... Um, and that's a whole different mm -hmm. thing. That's a whole different ballpark. And the main thing that we get uh, so far is that it costs too much money. I've talked to students who are, you know, in positions of student government, um, you know, the academic vice president or whatever. And I told them, can you get me into a meeting with them? Because I want to talk to them about this. And then even that person just told me, no, it's probably going to be impossible because it's too much money. They don't have money right now. It's like, why are you telling me this as a student? Like, why, why don't you get me in that meeting first to let, let me tell them? And they can deny me mm -hmm. um, instead of you denying me before I even get to the room. Mm -hmm. I got gotcha. mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's You can see me getting mad about it already. <laughs> I got you. Right here, we both were getting mad at the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I feel uh, you. It's frustrating. It's just frustrating. Nah. But I'm hoping that one day I'm I'm thinking two to three to four years from now, a Central American Studies will be here at Berkeley. I'm hoping so. Yes. Yes, let's manifest that. I'm gonna be emotional now. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not so beautiful because it's like, man, like at the end of the day, I always tell people like the, the in this example, the work that you're doing, the work of cafe, you know, the club, um, the the work of so many Central American like clubs around the United States, the work of so many Central American students have led us to like, you know, and the one do not feel alone that is right that is a right to request that right and then mm -hmm. so happy that we might not see los frutos of our 
all those years, all these years of emailing for you, all these years of like, come on, let's yeah. just do, you may not see it. You may not see it, but someone else will. And that's when you will know like yeah. it was worth it. It was worth it. Yeah. You know, because even with me yeah. with the podcast, like sometimes I'm like, why? You know what? <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, if at least if someone out there, like, legit, if I can change someone out there to listen to us, to be like, wow, I wanted to learn more about Central Americans. That's why yeah. I did it. And you know, and that's all. You mm-hmm. And that's, that's it. Just someone to listen and someone that, you know, the future or future generation, the younger Central American can have what we have been asking for so long yeah yeah but you know yeah. osiris thank you so much i before closing we want to talk about the event that we have together that is coming up yeah i'm so excited um you know people here we had an episode before about an Pelesa film so they're already a little bit familiar about the film but i was i am so excited this is the first podcast you know event and i'm excited to you know join the cafe in berkeley and have this screening so yes <laughs> yeah and we're gonna have pupusas too so if y'all want to come through you know come through for that um but it's also uh i suspect a, a great documentary mm-hmm. um i can't wait to see it uh we'll be in the social sciences building room 60 um at berkeley so if you're in the area and you're listening right now um you know Yes. Uh, go down there and see what's up. Yes, yes. You know, just come join us. Come watch the you know the documentary with us. Come eat pupusas with us, and then from yeah. our part, we're gonna have some merch. Uh, so if you want to just wrap Central America, <laughs> you know. But they, I'm so excited. Like I'm so thrilled. Like I already have everything ready to go. Like you know, it's um. I am very, very excited and so happy and happy to see a lot of our communities come and watch them. It's a documentary that, you know, uh, that documentary, I, I know I have, I have an episode about it, but um, it was, it was, it, it's, they reached out to me because I, I didn't know. And once I found out like about this uprising that happened in the uh, Mount Pleasant street over there in DC and it happened after uh, the police, um, sadly you know shot to death is salvadoran so it talks about like you know police brutality about like salvadoran diaspora the salvadoran civil war so a lot of the topics that we have you know share here with us osiris so you know just come and join us and it will be so fun (laughs) i know (laughs) yes um well before any closing osiris anything you might want to say um no if anybody's interested in taking the class that I was talking about, uh, we teach it every semester. Um, next semester, we'll be taught uh, by one of our students. And um, yeah, that reminds me, I have to submit something in order to keep it going. So okay. I'm probably going to do that right after. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, if you can uh, send me the link and I will add it right here or or any information that way I can add it into the notes that way they know yeah just uh you know we always post on social media mm-hmm. uh just follow uh cafe ucb mm-hmm. um on twitter and on instagram and you'll be able to see all of our updates all the events that we're trying to do the class and stuff like that it's all posted on there yes yes 
Definitely. So thank you so much, Sarah, yeah. to be um to come here to talk about this Central American study, to talk about your you know story, your mom, and everything. Um, it was a pleasure having you yeah. here. Can't wait to meet you in person. <laughs> um, next yeah. week. So yes. Um, thank you so right. much. Thank you, Alejandra. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank, thank you, you for letting me talk on this podcast. Oh, of course. <laughs> Before I say hasta luego or onto our next episode, if you like our content and would like to support my work, you can join our Patron or donate through our website. Also, don't forget that year-round we're accepting donation for our Voices Scholarship. All the information is always in the description box. And also, don't forget to come back for our next episode.